This is Scott Klosowski. You've landed at The Digital Optimist, a podcast that looks into the future of technology impacts on the world. Yeah, I see a brighter future coming, so jump into a few episodes and see if you agree. Relationships. They're like the air we breathe. Uh, They're critical every moment of our lives, and we don't know that until we don't have a relationship, until we have no connection, and then we notice, probably a lot like air. We don't notice it until we don't have air to breathe, and then it becomes pretty critical. We take relationships for granted. Uh, Too often, we don't even think about the quality or the depth of the relationships we have. As long as we have enough, then we don't think about it, and we don't have enough of a relationship or connections, then all of a sudden it becomes critical. With his mental state deteriorating, he sat in isolation and solitary confinement. Now think about the fact that solitary confinement is the worst punishment that we could imagine giving to an inmate. So once you've been in jail, if we have to take you a step lower, then we put you in solitary confinement. In this case, it's a true story about an inmate named Anthony Gay, and he found a temporary way out. So after being uh, in solitary confinement for many years, uh, sometimes that way out was a razor blade. Occasionally, it might be a staple from a legal document or a small shard of anything sharp. He would mutilate himself inside his Illinois prison cell, slicing open his neck forearms, legs, genitals, hundreds of times, as a matter of fact, over a couple decades while he sat in solitary confinement. Now, if you wonder why he would become a cutter, sometimes people have done that just because of the depression that they face, or they just want to actually externalize the pain that they feel inside. But in his case, every time he harmed himself, he knew that at least for a little bit, He would be able to be in contact with another human being. A therapist might rush to calm him down, or nurses might offer some kind words as they took his pulse or as they stitched him up. Think about what it takes to mutilate yourself just for the specific reason of actually being able to come in contact with another human being. This is what relationships mean to us. This is what human connection means. Again, think about the fact that the worst punishment that we can imagine in jail, short of torture, uh, is to just put somebody in a room by themselves and to cut off their connection with anything else in the world. I bring this up because we're going to talk about the intersection of technology and relationships. And a lot of times when we're talking about technology, we're talking about how to get things done better, faster, cheaper. Uh, But we don't always think about the impact of technology on relationships. Now, it's brought up. It's brought up that uh, although we're more connected than ever, sometimes it feels like we're more disconnected. You hear that comment made a lot. Uh, But just to sit and talk about technology's impact on relationships is something that we probably aren't looking at enough. Now, I've read many studies. I've looked at lots of research about the trends and what's happening. Uh, I will tell you, 
A lot of the research completely goes against what some people believe is actually happening with relationships and people's ability to connect with each other. In other words, uh, there was a general feeling for many years that uh, young people would be less social uh, because of technology. Uh, when it turns out, it actually helped them to be more social. Uh, of course, the research has shown that there are uh, critical relational issues, like uh, technology becomes a, a crutch that people use when they want to have a, a very emotional conversation. They'll try to do it over technology instead of doing it in person. Uh, we know from research that uh, talking over technology allows people to have digital courage. They will say things in uh, digital communication they would never say face-to-face. Uh, but without spending lots of time going into research versus what prevailing wisdom is, uh, if you will just stipulate uh, that this is probably one of the most critical things in our lives, relationships, and that technology impacts them greatly, and we still don't have really much of an understanding exactly where that is going. Well, of course, this is the Digital Optimist podcast, and so... What we want to do is look at, uh, ultimately, longer term in the future, will technology be helpful to relationships or harmful? And that will be our topic through the whole rest of this series uh, as we look at different types of relationships. We're going to look at just the general concept today, but we're going to go on and I'll be looking at uh, the family relationship. Uh, romantic relationships, relationships with friends, and then with our networks. So we'll be doing four more podcasts on this topic, but getting more specific with the type of relationship once we're done with this general podcast. In each case, we want to point out uh, how technology is playing a role in either supporting that relationship or possibly what some of the issues could be with those specific relationships. One thing we know for sure is that relationships uh, have a powerful impact on all of us. Uh, Even if you're an introvert like me, uh, we still need people to connect with. Uh, And you'll hear the saying many times, we are an amalgam of the five people who are closest to us. Uh, Just another example of how important relationships are. Now, you don't have to tell me uh, that, that there's a lot of news that is not positive when it comes to combining technology and connections with other human beings. I, I'm well aware of the issues that we have with technology, especially these early days of social technology, uh, and, and how many people have become hyper-focused on their devices, either because they're gamers or they're heavy into social technology, uh, or they just get a huge amount of their entertainment in general from their device. And that sometimes the addiction or the time spent on that device uh, can take them away from the face-to-face contacts that we would have had, uh, you know, in, in whatever the old days are to us. Now, I want to look at a macro level today before we break down into the other relationships. And uh, we can probably start with that macro level of saying, uh, today in the United States, depending on your age group, We spend nearly eight hours interacting with our screens a day, Uh, especially it depends on what type of work you do uh, or 
if you're not working, you know, how you choose to entertain yourself. Uh, but if we just said that eight hours a day is now the average, which, by the way, that has been climbing. We thought it was bad when people watch television for uh, many hours a day. Uh, but now if you combine television with Internet and social technologies and gaming, uh, you know, we're somewhere around eight hours a day. That's even for young people who go to school. What always fascinates me when I look at that statistic is, all right, so before we had the devices that we had to stare at for eight hours a day, what were we doing? Well, obviously, uh, depending on what time in history you're talking about, uh, when we were going to take up time or if we were entertaining ourselves, uh, we were often communicating face-to-face with another human being uh, or a group of human beings. That That is what was normal. So a lot of the screen time is taking away uh, the time that somebody would spend uh, face-to-face with a human. You know, the other day uh, I was at a restaurant and uh, I looked out uh, on the other side of the restaurant and there was a family of four and there was about a nine-year-old young boy And he's sitting at the table at dinner, and the entire time he's got his headphones on, connected to an iPad, uh, and playing a game on the iPad. And I I thought, you know, uh, what kind of message is that that the parents are sending to, uh, to their young son? That it's okay in a social environment at dinner with your family to completely check out and live in a different world staring at a screen. Now, I'm not prudish about using technology. Obviously, I'm a technologist. Uh, But I also have to look at something like that and say, there's damage being done in that kind of situation. Sure, maybe you're uh, allowing your son to be babysat by the screen. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's a terrible message about uh, the value of human connection with your family, if nothing else, uh, you know, versus uh, gaming. Uh, I was talking last week to a gentleman who was at an event that we were at, and he said, I told him that story, and he said, hey, I have a son who's like that, uh, and I know it sounds bad, but uh, you know, we will go and have the same thing happen when we uh, are at dinner or going to an event, and all he wants to do is uh, stare at the screen and play games. And uh, we talked about the damage that that causes, and he said, you know, it's such a battle because uh, even when we take him to the zoo or we take him to some other outing, which, you know, we do to try to get him off his technology, he's sullen the entire time and seems to want to pay no attention to what we're doing as a family. It almost is easier to just allow him to be connected to the technology. But there is a price to pay. Well, it's not only a gamer or somebody who does social technologies all day long. Uh, technology is another interesting aspect, which is uh, it, it allows us to move to self-serve when it comes to business things. And uh, what I mean by that is e-commerce allows you to not have to go to a store where you might interact with people. Uh, an ATM allows you to do banking or or an online application without having to uh, be involved with anybody else. Or uh, if you look at checkout lanes, even something as simple as checkout lanes at a retail store, those allow you to check out without engaging with a human being who would have normally checked you out. In other words, a lot of what we're doing in the name of efficiency uh, is also causing quite a bit of uh, misconnection now with other human beings. 
Now, were those deep connections? Not always. Uh, But they were at least a connection with a stranger, with a completely different human being. And so if you add up the fact that we're using technology to create more efficiency, which often means taking a human out of a process, with social technologies, with Netflix and entertainment from a screen, with, with gaming, you add all of these things together, it's detracting from the face-to-face communication relationships that we would have. Now, we have also gained an ability to communicate more efficiently, uh, to have more friends uh, by using technology, you know, whether that's texting or uh, even if we're using a, a, some type of video conferencing. So in other words, we, we continue to augment the ability to communicate remotely without having to be face-to-face with somebody. And this is a blessing and a curse, of course, because it, it, it gives us an ability to communicate uh, with somebody who we might here to otherwise not be able to communicate with, yet it also can become a substitute for communicating with a person in person. So again, we have many different things going on with technology right now that uh, are detracting or uh, stopping us from having as much face-to-face communication as what we once did. Now, you might be thinking, hey, I thought this was a digital optimist. Uh, and uh, it is. And uh, I know oftentimes I'll start out and I'll express to you what some of the difficulties are with technology. Uh, but ultimately, we'll work our way around to why I'm optimistic about the role that technology will play. Uh, in this case, now that I've mentioned some of the things that uh, if I didn't mention them, you all would say to me, uh, hey, what about this and what about that? Uh, let's go on and talk about a real-life relationship versus a synthetic relationship. That's just my terminology. Uh, I have for a long time thought about this difference, the difference of a a relationship that is real-world, that uh, you you are physically in contact with somebody at some regular, regular level, versus that synthetic relationship or virtual relationship, a relationship where you might communicate with somebody, have feelings for somebody, have what we used to call a long-distance relationship, yet uh, the relationship is really not at all ever person-to-person. In the game world, for example, you might have a relationship with nothing more than a screen name. You know the person by their screen name, but you've never met them as a human being. That's a very synthetic relationship. So when I talk about real-life relationship versus synthetic, uh, just think about the difference between those two. Now, in a real-life relationship, we have to understand we are basically animals. Uh, we, we have a physical capability. We have five senses. Uh, we have instincts. Uh, we have a brain that, that still is driven by base uh, types of energy. Uh, you know, we when we connect with someone else, there are, the, of course, at least the five senses that we know of, uh, but we have many other probably senses that we don't understand at different levels. Uh, we can gain a massive amount of physical cues from looking at somebody when we have an exchange. Uh, I'm sure there are levels of energy that are passing that we uh, can sense by intuition but not really uh, any of our five senses as it were. Uh, So when we are in person with somebody, 
there is a density to what is going on in that communication or what is going on in that connection uh, that we just don't have in a synthetic relationship. Uh, again, a synthetic relationship is not bad. Don't look at this as good or bad. I'm just trying to discern a relationship uh, that you have with somebody that you see in person, at least from time to time, versus a relationship that is completely in the virtual world, uh, where you never really know that person as a physical human being. So the difference, again, between RL, a real-life relationship, and a synthetic Now, the synthetic relationship, when I say it's not good or bad, a synthetic relationship is a fantastic substitute. You know, if you are a soldier uh, who is away from home and uh, you have a synthetic relationship with somebody back uh, in the country that you came from, uh, but it's at least something that keeps you anchored uh, with what you call home, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, It's, again, the synthetic relationship is just a stand-in for a real life, but it is better than nothing. Again, if we went back to our story right at the beginning, if you take a prisoner who has had no contact with human beings because they're in isolation, and you gave them a computer, and you allowed them to at least have a synthetic connection with people, uh, that would be dramatically better than the situation they're in with having no communication, no ability to talk to somebody, no ability to share ideas or concepts or learn from or teach, uh, then, you know, you, you can understand that there's nothing bad about synthetics. Uh, it's just different. Now, relationships take an investment over time. They take an investment of attention, regardless of whether it's a synthetic relationship or not. But especially real-life relationships take an investment of time and attention. If we ignore those relationships... Uh, then obviously they suffer. Uh, What attracts us to each other, what what connects us with each other is a complicated mix of physical, emotional, and intellectual cues. Uh, This is what makes us connect. Now, because relationships take an investment, you can understand that if technology uh, sucks our time and attention away, then we are not nurturing that relationship. Now, this may seem obvious, but if you think about a marriage uh, or you think about any type of significant relationship, if the person on the other side spends hours and hours and hours using a device uh, or attached to some type of technology, uh, then it takes away from what potentially would be the types of connections you could make, whether that's talking, whether that's touching, sharing ideas, you know, whatever would create value in that relationship. Now, We have, before technology, we had telephone, uh, which I guess is a form of technology. Before we had internet technology, we had telephone. You had long-distance calls, so you could stay in touch. Uh, Before that, we had letters. And so you could at least use a letter to stay in touch. But when you used a letter, it was a very small amount of information that came at very wide-apart gaps as far as time. I can't remember when I was young, I met a young girl when I was at a camp, and we spent a little bit of time with each other, uh, you know, liked each other enough that we gave each other uh, our address. And then for probably six months, uh, we wrote letters to each other. And uh, I, I was very enamored with this young girl. Uh, I had her picture, and I had some letters. 
That was it. And after six months or so, the letters started to dwindle farther and farther apart, and then eventually we just stopped. Now, the reason for that was there was not enough of a volume of connection, and we never did see each other again. It's, it's an interesting analogy of what happened with those letters when I think about social technologies and sometimes what happens with connecting with people electronically. Uh, it's a little bit different because the pace of connection is so much faster. So, I mean, I could talk to somebody every day, three times a day, who I don't know if I choose to do that, which we never had a chance to do with letters. So technology adds a whole new toolbox that we've never had before to be able to communicate at faster, more rich, I would even say immersive ways compared to the way we used to be able to communicate in the past. Now, that's wonderful uh, for us to be able to build tighter relationships with more people, I suppose. Uh, It also can be extremely distracting when we talk about somebody who is spending all their time connecting on social technologies, but not with the people who are physically around them. So in other words, the technology can be a wonderful uh, um, addition to being able to communicate with people. Um, It can also at the same time be a terrible distraction from somebody that's sitting right next to them. As we talk about a lot of times, that is just normal with technology, is that it can have wonderful positives and it can have some pretty low negatives as well. Uh, For example, dating apps. I I have never had to use a dating app just because of my age. I was already married when dating apps came out. I never had to use eHarmony or Match. Uh, But I'm also not biased about using these tools simply because I haven't used them. Uh, I I have many friends that have found their wives or husbands or at least somebody to date uh, that they enjoyed from the dating app. And we've got family members that, that have. So without being judgmental, there's positives and negatives about dating apps. Uh, The wonderful thing about them is they're an efficient way to be able to find somebody that you might be able to get along with. Very efficient. In the past, the amount of people you got to meet to choose from, very small. Today, because of dating apps, the, the amount of people that you can meet is huge. On the other side, uh, there are, of course, dangers. We have people who lie in their profiles and, uh, you know, they, they make themselves seem like somebody they're not. And so then that will waste the time or incredibly awkward or in some cases dangerous situations uh, where, you know, people uh, are, are using the dating apps for something other than a healthy reason. I will tell you this, the funny thing I find about dating apps is, Uh, Some people will work really hard to find a a girlfriend or boyfriend or somebody to date with a dating app. And then you wonder how many of those end up spending their eight hours a day on their screens and then paying no attention to each other afterwards, Uh, which again, it just shows technology's got wonderful highs and it can have wonderful lows as well. All right. On the optimistic side, uh, I have to say, uh, if you look at family members, for example. One of the wonderful things about technology has been the ability to stay in much closer contact with family members. And we'll talk more about family members specifically. I'm just trying to, in general, talk about the positives and negatives. Uh, But isn't it wonderful that grandparents can stay up with their grandkids or parents can stay up uh, in just about real time with what's going on with their kids? Uh, 
our family, for instance, a lot of our family, both my wife's and mine, are all on Facebook and uh, their Instagram and various tools. And so uh, it's really nice to be able to see what everybody's doing in a constant stream and to be aware of that so that when we get together face to face, there's more to talk about or more that you don't have to talk about because you already know it. So although, yes, we've got the separation issue of family members being all together, but two or three people that are on their devices the entire time, uh, we've got the other side of that, which is family members all over the world who are able to communicate uh, in a pretty uh, immersive way um, that we never have had before. Now, again, you know, this is probably why we've got this this comment that we are the most connected and the most disconnected at the same time. I mean, when in history have we been both? Uh, but we're pretty much there now. So will relationships get better in the future? Will human connection uh, get to be something that is better? Um, you know, that's where I really become optimistic. And uh, I, I think although when we get new technologies for a while, the pendulum swings too far one way and we don't handle them in the right way, I always trust that the pendulum will swing back. And so I'll give you three reasons right now why I have an optimistic view of technology becoming more of an enhancement uh, than it is a negative with relationships. Right? The first one is uh, just that physical relationships drive economic progress. That is something that's hard to ignore. In other words, for people to do business with each other, uh, they need to have a trust for each other. That's just a rule that I think is always going to be there. You're not going to do business with people you don't trust. You're not going to hire people that you don't trust. You don't want to work with people that you don't trust. In order to find trust, you have to build somewhat of a relationship. So I, I believe because we have to have uh, economic progress that you can kind of extrapolate that human connection is always going to be critical to us. And I think that we will come to understand that more. Uh, I think right now uh, there's a lot of people that think having a great social network uh, is going to be able to get you where you want to go from an economic standpoint. But I suspect people already starting to figure out that uh, your quote-unquote Rolodex, your, your network of people, which will be a separate topic we're going to talk about, that network is who you build trust with in order to be able to help your career to move forward. In other words, physical proximity, proximity counts. When you're with somebody physically, you build more of a relationship that you can trust economically. So that's one reason. Uh, another reason is uh, that I'm optimistic. I really believe people will start to understand this concept of real-life relationships versus synthetic. I think they will start to understand quantity and quality of relationships. So there will become more of a conscious understanding that for me to have a healthy, well-balanced life where I have a high amount of well-being, I've got to have real-life relationships that are deep and meaningful, augmented with some synthetic relationships as well. But what I don't do is change, trade, quantity for quality and go where the vast majority of my relationships are synthetic as opposed to the real life relationships. So I think we will understand this balance in a lot more conscious way. 
uh, as opposed to the unconscious directions we've probably gone the last decade or so, why we are so intrigued and excited about all of the tools that allow us to have synthetic relationships. So I, I believe that pendulum will swing back. So that's the second reason. The third reason uh, that I'm optimistic about the future is just our continuing path to enlightenment and awakening. As people become more awakened to the reality of the world, awakened to what the truth is with a capital T, they will be quicker to learn the value of a full relational experience. Again, there will always be a place for the synthetic. There will always be a place for the virtual or the remote connection. But what will happen as we become more awakened is we will be more conscious of the richness, the robustness of that real life, that physical relationship. So those are three reasons why. I can tell you just in general, I'm optimistic about technology and relationships in the future. Uh, you might disagree from your personal experiences. I try to look at the facts. I just look at the I look at what studies are coming out. I look at the directions of things uh, to be able to base, uh, these predictions I make. I also just try to apply logic. Uh, and there are so many reasons to believe that although we get stra- distracted with new tools and new technologies for a time, eventually we find a balance. Eventually, the pendulum swings back to where not only uh, do we get to a healthy state, but it's a healthy state that's augmented by the benefits of the technology. In this case, the pendulum will swing back to a good understanding of why we each need those personal uh, real-life relationships and a depth of relationship and an ability to augment those with the synthetic pieces of relationships that we never had until the last decade or so. All right, in the next episode, we're going to look at family relationships specifically. Boy, this is an area, there's some good and there is some not so good. Uh, But again, I I believe there are some directional things I can point out that will show that that technology will be more and more of a blessing for family relationships. So until the next podcast, uh, I would just ask you to do this. Really be conscious of how you use technology uh, within your relationships, how you use technology when they may injure relationships. Think about your time and attention. How much time do you spend in front of a screen? I don't care whether it's Netflix. I don't care if it's social technologies, gaming. I don't care if it's uh, reading on your device. Uh, Pay attention to how many hours a day you're spending in front of a screen versus how many hours you spend a day uh, being very present with humans in kind of a real-life relationship. Just become conscious of that. Watch how you operate. If you shift even an hour in one direction or the other appropriately, it can make a huge difference. I know this is possible because when I coached soccer, I coached high school girls. And some people might argue that high school girls might be the worst at at using their devices. They're very attached to their devices. The high school girls that I coached, I will never forget, I asked... Uh, if they would experiment for a while with every hour they spent on a device, spending an hour uh, just with somebody without the device, but in communication and relationship. And they tried it and they said it was an easy adoption. They had no issues with it at all. And I was surprised because I thought that this might be a, a huge change for them. 
And they said it wasn't at all. They felt completely comfortable once they became conscious, once they started looking at the clock and thinking about how much time have I been in front of a screen? Okay, now I need to be with my friends or I need to be with my family for the same amount of time. So become conscious of this yourself. Experiment with it over the next week or so. And until next time, thank you. This is the Digital Optimist. Thank you for listening and giving these ideas a chance. Let this be a two-way conversation and connect with me on Twitter at sklosowski or on LinkedIn. I also write a blog that you can find at scottklosowski.com. An added bonus is a library of thought-leading graphics you can download from the site. One more thing, please take a moment and rate this podcast on whatever platform you use. Ideas are powerful change agents and positive reviews will help spread the digital optimism.